0: Hi, I'm Darrell Bailey. Thank you for tuning us in Service for Christ as we get into our series, The Life of the Apostle Paul. As we pick back up in our series of The Life of Apostle Paul, this will be the the sixth in our series that we start back up with. And uh, we uh, started with a life changing conversion in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. Uh, Paul's first steps as a Christian in Acts chapter 9, verses 6 through 16. We jumped over in the first Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 21, uh, with Paul the proclaimer uh, in our third series, and our fourth, Paul's first missionary journey, part 1, Acts chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3, and then Paul's first missionary journey, part 2, our fifth series, In Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 13. Here tonight, we look at, again, Acts chapter 13, verses 14 through 41. As uh, we get into the wonderful Word of God, here Wednesday, July the 26th, 2023, the 8th of, of 5783 of the Hebrew calendar. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the preaching of Paul to the Gentiles. A thousand mile journey. When we realize that in the first, uh, Paul's first missionary journey, there were 15 different locations that Paul went to to cover that thousand mile journey. And then later on, we'll be talking about Paul's second missionary journey, 22 different locations that he went to. The third missionary journey, 29 different locations that Paul had covered some ground. And then lastly, we'll be dealing with Paul's final journey uh, to Rome as a prisoner with 14 different locations that he went to before he ended up at Rome. Paul covered a lot of ground. And so we realize that Paul started out at Antioch, which was his first missionary uh, uh, of being called by the Holy Spirit of God. We pick back up. Uh, tonight in Antioch of Pisidia, it was the main city of South Galatia, and here we see for the for the one of the most powerful preachings that you could ever witness took place right here in uh, Antioch, uh, Pisidia, and, and so this is a very powerful message uh, that Paul began to look. Paul was a visiting preacher and so of Antioch of Pisidia we begin to look and realize that how powerful this actually was as we see uh, Paul uh, going in and begin to start his ministry and as we see this uh, we start out with uh, a couple different areas but one of them when we look at the area of Paul Right here in Antioch, Uh, actually, he started out in Antioch as we look at it. Let me see if I can make a little bit of drawing right here. In here, in Seleucia, he came over into Cyprus, from Cyprus to Paphos, from Paphos to Antioch of Pisidia. To hear. And as we see this, he started out, as again, at Antioch, where the church began, called by the Holy Spirit of God. Can you imagine? Paul and Barnabas are getting their luggage ready. The Holy Spirit, the church, nobody else, it was the Holy Spirit that did it. They were given a mission to go out, and so Paul and Barnabas, they entered Antioch of Pisidia in verses 14, 15, and 16 that we're going to be talking about. But get your mind on the maps of the location. Again, as we look and realize that they started out from here, they come to Cyprus. Let me see if I can get this chalk thing going. Here we go. From here, all the way over from Paphos, all the way over to Pisidia of Antioch. And so, what a journey that they were on as we realize these areas. (laughs) Man, I'm going to tell you, as Paul began to cover all this ground, we're reminded of how everything began in Antioch and uh, his edification, his unity, uh, his ministering, his fasting. uh, All of this led to the Holy Spirit bringing him uh to the work of the ministry and so here we begin to realize that everything began now as we realize that rome all roads lead to rome (laughs) but rome had the greatest network of rome roads in the ancient roman world when we begin to look at this and begin to realize right here Is Cyprus. Way back over here where my head is is where Antioch was that started, and then you come back up in to here in Asia Minor, which is Turkey, and you'll see the location that all of these roads that they begin to go from, that all of these begin to originate uh, from Rome building these roads and giving us what we have today, this area. Here, the Roman Empire was very powerful. And so, every bit of this was Roman territory. Again, notice of the Asia Minor area here is where we're talking about. And so, we realize that in uh, verses 6 through 12, they, last time in Cyprus, they dealt with a false prophet. They preached the gospel in the synagogues, Bar Jesus a fierce opponent to the gospel. Uh, as we see this, the Roman governor, the proconsul, who wanted to hear the gospel and was saved. And so, Ilimus, uh the stumbling block to uh, Sergius Paulus, who was the proconsul of Rome, that wanted to hear the truth of the gospel. And so this false prophet, full of deceit, guilt, and fraud, malicious, son of the devil, enemy of all righteousness, perverted the straight ways of the Lord, and sketch of false te- teachers of every age, how that there's always a devil in the room wherever you go. Blinded, Sergius Paulus believed. And as we look and realize that God's Word began to be preached, as we see, 60 miles west of Syria, 140 miles long, east to west, copper and timber, home of Barnabas, they begin to go to Salamis. As I review our story, I mean, I wish I could back it back up, but what we see is from Salamis, they go on to Paphos. From Paphos, they go on to Perga. And from Perga, they in the area of Pamphylia and this, as they go on up into Antioch in Pisidia here. And so, we remember last time, a while back, that we read that they started out in Seleucia, went to Cyprus, Salamis, which is here. Then they went to Patphos, the island of Patphos. And they found a sorcerer there, and Seleucia was the seaport of Antioch. It lay 15 miles to the west of Antioch, Barnabas saw With all their luggage, they were escorting escorted down to the port to get on a ship and to start out from uh, the port of Seleucia all the way to Salamis and from Salamis to Paphos, from Paphos to Perga, and from Perga to Antioch. Antioch in Pisidia, and so the mission of the first missionary journey began. Now, here we are tonight. Sometimes it's said backwards: Antioch, Pisidia, Pisidia, Antioch. But here is where we're covering. And so, in God's plan, it was time for Saul to preach the gospel and to build the churches around the Roman Empire. Here. They go to Antioch of Pisidia. Again, here. As we look, starting out, mm, here, mm, here, and here, as everything begins to transpire. We're pretty familiar now. We've got a good idea with all the maps and everything now what happened before we get into verse 13 well actually 14 but i want to remind you what last time we read out of verse 13 but halifax nova scotia in canada is one of the biggest provinces in canada there is one of the largest mun- m- municipals in uh, the atlantic canada is the holfax area now you know several years ago uh they were uh running a revival uh there billy graham began to go there in nova scotia and he began to uh, start out uh where he was one of the biggest names that was going to be involved and so uh during that time frame uh one of the biggest crusades that were ever but there was a man named Leighton Ford that was to preach one night, and then the famous evangelist Billy Graham was to preach the next night. Well, Graham arrived a day early, and he he decided to slip in quietly for the service, and he sat in the very back, and he he tried to be unnoticed, but after the sermon of Leighton Ford, during the invitation, Graham noticed a man in front of him with his head bowed, and he decided to try to encourage the man, and so Graham tapped him on the shoulder. And he said, hey, would you like to accept Christ? I, I'd be glad to walk down front with you if you want to. And the man thought for a second, then he said, nah, I think I'll just wait till the big gun comes tomorrow night. Well, here in Acts chapter 13, we read about a typical Saturday service in a local Jewish synagogue. Those who came that day, however, had no idea that a visiting preacher by the name of Paul would be one of God's big guns that would preach that day. The writer of Acts Luke gives us a very detailed record of a sermon by Apostle Paul. And even though that it's not the first sermon Paul ever preached, it is the first one that we have a a very good idea of looking at. And so when we see it, we're reminded uh, that uh, a big gun was coming uh, to preach. Paul was that big gun that no one realized. Last time we we read, we the last thing we read was verse 13 of Acts chapter 13. Let's pause for a minute. Father, thank you so much for the word of God and how precious, how powerful it is. Lord, I pray God that you'll just take this Bible study and touch someone's heart. Get them, Lord, involved in the word of God and prayer back in church, Father, Get them, Lord, stirred up and let them be the missionary that goes about their workplace, that travels and takes their witness, their testimony to the lands of where they work at on the job and everywhere that they go. And may the light of Jesus Christ pierce the darkness where they are and change that area for good, for better, forever, that their names are recorded and brought in to the Lamb's book of life so that they may have the greatest promise that's been given to every Christian in the entire world. A promise of eternal security. That, Lord, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. That our names have been recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. That you took care of our past, our present, and our future. And so tonight, as I read the Word of God, touch it with your power. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for this scripture. And for this study and all the studies that you give us and you let us see, Father, we're so blessed that we realize how powerful your word is. In Jesus' marvelous mighty name, amen. What did we read? Paul, the visiting preacher. Last time we ended with this. Now when Paul and his company loosened from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. What do we see? something changed because here in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Maiden, which had been brought up with Herod the Techart, notice, and Saul. When this started out, Saul was mentioned the very last of anybody. But then, back in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. The Holy Spirit called them to do the work. When we get over, though, to verse 13, things begin to change. Because all of a sudden, we see the scripture and it says, Now when Paul and his company, Paul is the highlight. He didn't try to be the highlight. He was just following the Holy Spirit of God. Sometimes when you follow the Lord, the spotlight will get on you, but that spotlight ought to shine more on Jesus than it does anyone else. And as we look tonight, we see in verses, uh, actually, uh, from uh, all of Paul's first sermon that goes as we get into verse 16 down to verse 14, we look and we realize that Paul and Barnabas entered Antioch of Pisidia. And in that, We start off with the scripture. And when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Man, what a blessing that that was. Huh, you know what? I'm glad that Charles Wesley said God buries his workmen, but he uh, carries his work. You know what? Every one of us, when we get into the work of the Lord, God buries his workmen, but he carries his work. Every one of us, I'm glad God has a place for all of us. There's enough ministry for everybody. It doesn't have to highlight just one particular somebody. And so the two ministers entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, which was Saturday. This was the method of evangelism that was adopted by Paul. And as we look at this and we begin to realize that... uh, that as the ministry began to take off, that Paul knew something. The faithful among the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles would be there. He and Barnabas would have a ready-made audience. And, um, and so they looked at a great opportunity, how deeply Paul and Barnabas were committed uh, to their call and mission. And, and so they existed for the very purpose and for the purpose alone to be able to take the gospel. They entered a city and had an opportunity to share Christ. The method of evangelism must always be to go where people are. Amen. I thank God here. If the Lord doesn't come back, I'm going to be heading over to Villa Rica and be ministering over in Villa Rica because we go where the people are. And so, you know what? Here are these two ministers. They entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. And as strangers, they were invited to speak. They were, they were just common uh, to uh, practice during those days of the synagogue to invite visitors to share a word of exhortation if they wished. You know, Paul was a rabbi, so an invitation to speak would naturally be extended to him. And so, as strangers, as they were invited to speak, Paul took the lead addressing the Jews and the Gentiles who feared God And the people sitting before Paul would be the Jews who were faithful to their Old Testament scriptures and the Gentiles who had become sick of the immoral and wicked society and the religion of their day and had had seen some truth in the Jewish scriptures and the worship of one God. Now, since Paul had been in Paphos, the capital of the island of Cyprus, he had been taking the lead instead of Barnabas. He's going to be the leader, the apostle Uh, To the Gentiles. Just imagine the character of Barnabas, the strength, the, the humbleness, the love, the trust that he had for the Lord. When he saw the Lord moving, Paul in his leadership, Barnabas really encouraged the move and fully supported Paul in that ministry. And so their hearts were not against each other, but they moved together. We must serve where God has placed us. We serve in love, supporting and pushing others ahead. And so, Paul took the lead addressing the Jews and the Gentiles, amen. Now, as we see all of this transpiring and how that everything began to uh, go forth of our directions, we begin to realize that of the future things in life, Antioch of Persidia, here is some of the walls of one of the major places, the Hellenistic City Wall, which was a major center in the centuries before Paul's arrival. It was located along the route from Ephesus to Sicilia, and Jewish inhabitants were brought to the city by the Romans for political, commercial reasons, and it was to this community that Paul preached on his first missionary journey. Here we see uh, the the, aqua, uh, the aqueducts uh, that holds the water, uh, the towers for it, and so, the Roman-era aqueducts are some of the most notable examples of water supply system which emerges with the Roman Empire, An urban planning concept, and forms the basic water system seen in almost every ancient city in Anatolia, uh, increasing the water demand in the Roman period due to the development and expansion of that time. And so, what a magnificent site that are there still today. And, Antioch of Pisidia. One of the most powerful uh, places of all was the Augustum-Sebastian sanctuary of the imperial cult that was named after Augustus, Caesar Augustus uh, himself. That was the first Roman emperor from 27 BC until his death in AD 14. The reign of Augustus initiated an imperial cult that was associated with an imperial peace where they had had, uh, uh, basically, the Roman world had uh, been free of the armed conflict aside from all of the wars and the years of the four emperors. Here is the exact uh, remains of that uh, temple, of that imperial cult there today. Antioch of Pisidia, as that uh, temple of Augustus, as another shot of it, that was one of the city's founder, dedicated to him, that was built after 2 BC and became the focal point of the city. The podium temple was constructed in front of a two-story, semicircular circular portio and adjacent to a large, colonnaded courtyard uh, that was the temple that was first excavated and, uh Ramsey in 1912 to 1914, that you saw what it would have looked back on the other slide. And so, we see uh, the area uh, that he's in. And so that word of exhortation that Paul is going to be preaching, amen, as he gives a history lesson, he gets into the salvation of the gospel story. And all of the scriptures of all the Old Testament that Paul has been given, He he's researched, and uh, I'm glad that his time in Arabia uh, that He will get into, that educates him. But all of these are all the old scriptures that we get into. And so, you know what? Paul was a big gun, being the visiting preacher. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue, sent to them saying, ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. And so Paul had a favorable moment. And in that favorable moment, Paul began to get up he was a bivocational preacher, a tent maker, Nor I tell you, but no one had any idea how powerful this man was going to get up and preach a message in uh, Antioch of Pisidia. Paul was one of the greatest preachers that had ever lived, and we look at this message, and we begin to be reminded that all God needs are willing witnesses who understand the truth That's transformed them and will do the same for anyone who believes it. And so, as we look at Paul's favorable moment right here in that service, at that synagogue, that after the reading of the law and the prophets and the rulers of the synagogue, somebody sent word to Paul and his companions saying, Hey, do you men have anything you want to say? And imagine, we sure do. We sure would like to get up and say something. God provided these missionaries with a perfect opportunity uh, to and the right moment to share the gospel. God will always open a door for you to be that visiting preacher, that visiting uh, bivocational, that witness, that testimony. He will open a door every time for you. And as Christians, I think sometimes we are waiting on, on just the right opening that will let us be able to come in and do what needs to be done, praise God. And so it's almost as if we're waiting for someone out there. Some people are waiting for somebody. To say, hey, can you tell me how to get to heaven? Well, sure. Come on over here to Bartow County. You can go on over yonder to Peoples Valley Baptist Church. They'll tell you how to get to heaven. Go on over there to Tabernacle Baptist Church. They'll tell you how to get to heaven. Hey, come on over uh, to Bethel Crossroads over here in Taylorville. We'll tell you how to get to heaven. Come on over yonder to Raccoon Baptist Street. Hallelujah. They'll tell you how to get to heaven. Come on over here to Taylorville Baptist Church. We'll tell you how to get to heaven. All of the favorable moments to witness that can happen at any time. But I'm glad that the door was wide open for the preaching of the gospel. And they were led to this very moment. And Paul, with his missionary team, got to Antioch, Pisidia. And I'm glad that all of a sudden they begin to move on in and praise God. All of a sudden they begin to speak the word. Here is a picture uh, of that very uh, remains of the church. Or well, Paul, the visiting preacher, got up and began to expound the scriptures. Hallelujah! That night, where he was taking the precious word of God, and so we begin to realize that every one of us—I'm glad that the the Lord is the one that's leading us. Were those favorable moments that we can witness to those who are first led them by the Holy Spirit of God, and I'm glad that uh, they were looking for that very moment as this that then Paul begin to stand up. And so, and Paul stood up and he beckoned with his hand and said, men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. I'm glad Charles Wesley said, God buries his workmen, but he carries on his work, as I said earlier. You know what? What kind of preaching did Paul do? Oh, he might've done some Charles Stanley preaching, you know, amen. Uh, He might've got up and he taught the word and expounded on it. He might have did a little bit of Jensen Franklin preaching. Hallelujah. Amen. It didn't matter what kind of preaching he did. It didn't matter the kind of style preaching he did. He might have been a, 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 a one of them uh, huff and puff preachers. He might have been one of them that sings it. He might have been one of them that taught fast. He might have been one of them that just taught it. It didn't matter about his style. What mattered was that he told the story of the gospel, praise God, and that was exactly. It didn't matter if he had a T.G. Jake style. Hallelujah. All of it is the gospel. All of it is preaching. And I thank God that here, as Paul and Barnabas entered Antioch of Pisidia, hallelujah, God was working in a way, and he began to expound on the history of the nation of Israel in that gospel message, praise God. And so, the old, old story that never grows old, hallelujah, Paul began to get up and begin to expound on the gospel story, hallelujah. And I'm glad that when we look, we realize that God has been working throughout all history he suffered he bore the ways of israel and of the world just for us on that thousand mile journey hallelujah and the bible says that paul's familiar message in verses 17 and 18 of the visiting preacher, hallelujah, it said that the God of this, this people of Israel chose our fathers, exalted the people in the world as, chang- as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with a high arm brought he them out of it. Paul is beginning to expound. He's preaching with a voice like Peter would preach that he had heard. He's preaching like a voice because Stephen preached, even though that he was in on the stoning of Stephen. Those were the voices of the gospel that Paul heard, and Paul, the visiting preacher, began to preach like Peter. He began to preach like Stephen, amen. He had some preacher like Charles Stanley. He had some preacher like Jensen Franklin. He had some preaching, hallelujah, like T D Jakes, hallelujah. He had some preaching like you and I hear, no matter what style it was, because the most important thing God had been working throughout history. He suffered and bore the ways of Israel and of the world. And the message that was preached by Stephen just about covers the same points Paul proclaimed. We look at Stephen's message for the development, amen. God was working with man throughout all history, amen. God was working with man through the nation of Israel. And the thrust of Paul's message, hallelujah, was that God had suffered and put up with the behavior of man from the very beginning. And about the time of 40 years, suffered he their manner in the wilderness. Man, God had guided his people from Egypt to David's time. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. Boy, I'm going to tell you, God had suffered. He had put up with man's behavior. Mm. God had born and nourished man alone just as a loving and caring father. And I'm telling you, God himself, how he was born and suffered with man all through history. God chose Israel. God himself, how that he had born this, uh, and suffered with man through history. God delivered Israel. They had stayed in Egypt too long. Uh, becoming complacent and worldly and perfectly satisfied with the pleasures of Egypt and in fact they stayed so long that an evil Pharaoh arose who enslaved them but God loved and cared and he delivered them, hallelujah, and God put up and suffered with Israel through the wilderness and God gave Israel glorious provision, the pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night and manna for food in Exodus chapter 16 and on into Exodus chapter 33 34 and 35 and yet they grumbled, they murmured, they rebelled against him, Lord Paul was doing some preaching, he had a voice for preaching. He was preaching the history of Israel, hallelujah, and over there at Antioch, Pisidia, they were hearing the history of Israel preached, and they, listen, and here we realize that God put up with all of this. God led Israel to conquer Canaan. He constantly protected them, leading, guiding them to victory after victory, despite their lack of trust and constant disobedience, amen, and so I'm glad that as we look at all of the things that God had done, for Israel. God gave Israel judges as well. And so, once the land was conquered, Israel slipped into complacency, selfishness, and sin. Forgetting God and his call, nations marched against Israel. But despite Israel's sin, God heard the cry of the faithful few raised up the deliverers called judges. Amen. Paul is laying it on. He's preaching that uh, Jetson Franklin message. He's preaching that Charles Stanley message. Huh? He's preaching that T.G. Jakes. Uh, hallelujah. He's giving it to him over there in Antioch, Pisidia. God gave Israel a man who was not only a judge, but the first of the great prophets, Samuel. Boy, yet Israel was dissatisfied with God's choice and leadership. They looked at the world. They desired what the world had. A king. Give us a king. And so, after he gave them Samuel, next thing we see that God gave Israel a king of their own, choosing a man by the name of Saul. Saul was everything that men would choose, a very physical man who stood head and shoulders above everyone else. In 1 Samuel 9 and 1 Samuel 10, God Himself had borne all and suffered man all through history. But God raised up a special king of His own, choosing man's Israel's choice failed. Saul mismanaged God's will and the government that God wanted established. God removed him, set his own choice upon the throne by the name of a man, by the name of a little shepherd boy, David. <clears throat> Hallelujah, and I'm glad that we look and we begin to realize that it turned out that the drop in the unemployment was so significant because God could change everything. God can change all of the moments, and so everything, all the things that Paul was doing, the old, old story really never grows old. The messengers may change. The message remains the same is what I'm trying to say. And so, Paul began to preach, and boy, did he do some preaching. He began to give them what they needed, and after that, he gave unto them judges, as I said, about the space of 450 years until Samuel, the prophet, and afterward, they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years, the smallest tribe of all of them, Benjamin, and so, the inspiration of the Lord, amen, and when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king to whom, they, whom also he gave testimony and said, I found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. He's preaching the history, and I'm glad God had guided his people from Egypt to David's time. Amen. And so it brings us over to where Jesus had fulfilled the messianic promises. Hallelujah. G. Campbell Morgan said one time, The similarity is created by the fact that they had the same truth to proclaim because every one of us, the message is always about Jesus, no matter what. So Paul was preaching with Peter's boldness. Paul was preaching with Stephen's blessedness and Paul's brilliance. D.L. Moody, those shoe salesmen that got led to the Lord by uh, Brother Kimball that uh, all of a sudden he went over there and caught him in that in that uh store putting shoes away edward kimble began to share that familiar message of the gospel and the next thing you know there's a great man by the name of dl moody that's taken the gospel already over all over the world we begin to realize that here this visiting preacher the word of it, this salvation uh, that he was bringing out amen Jesus, the Savior, promised by God, announced by John, preached by Paul, and was rejected, killed, buried, and raised. Praise God. He, Paul, had a fresh man voice. Paul had the voice of Peter. Paul had the voice of Stephen. Paul had the Charles Stanley. He had the Jetson Franklin. He had, praise God, T.G. Jakes. He was letting it go. Boy, that voice was cracking, hallelujah, across Antioch, Pisidia. He was getting a gospel out there, hallelujah, and a voice that was cracking and doing everything that needed to be done. Boy, I'm glad a man God had delivered with a fresh voice that was needed to be preached a voice that began to go all the way back. I believe that he preached the Psalms when he did it. Uh, We see everything that was transpiring. I'm glad that all of the scriptures that we see that God began to do. Here, as we close out, God has consummated history. He has given the world a Savior, Jesus. In verses 23 all the way to verse 41, here is the scripture. I won't read it. But this is what I would assume. Also, the message that was being preached by Paul, Psalms 2, about the kingdom of Christ. Serve the Lord, in verse 11, with fear, rejoice, with trembling. Boy, can you imagine? Every bit of this, we begin to realize that it's the wonderful, pivotal point of the gospel. God began to do all of these things. He put up with man through all of these things. And we realize that the Bible offers a perspective on success different than than we may be used to success. Success is knowing God's will and doing it. Doing God's will is the result of developing habits that we've looked at. Success comes to those who refuse to follow the crowd, who have cultivated a one-track mind, who have developed a weather-resistant faith. Who would you consider as more successful? historical figure. Alexander the Great, who conquered the known world while still a young man, or Napoleon who ruled France, or Apostle Paul who died alone in a prison cell, and yet he began to make one of the greatest impacts. Paul was successful, not because he was able to accumulate wealth and power. He lived a life shaped by the Word of God. Success comes down to knowing God's will and doing it, and that means that a successful person lives being influenced by the word and not by the world. And so, of this man's seed, hath God, according to his promise, raised under Israel a savior, Jesus. Right here, the message changes from the history of Israel to the story of Jesus. Here's where Paul begins to bring out, I believe Psalms two, and he begins to put that Psalms into the power of God as a visiting preacher, Preaching a very powerful message, amen, that all of a sudden your style of preaching is not nearly as important as the story you tell. You're to tell. Listen, you make, oh God, I don't like his preaching. I don't like his. While well, he does this, he does that, uh, you know, he's always somebody making fun of somebody else's preaching. All preaching is good if it's under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God and they stick to the word of God, the Bible. Amen? I prefer the King James because I'm just old-fashioned, and that's what I believe it to be. But he goes on. When John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, here we begin to realize that we see uh, the story of how that it tells us uh, in the Word of God of how things begin to transpire as Paul had been chosen. Amen? We see right here uh, that uh, uh, that Uh, according to the promise uh, that was given, amen, that uh, out of the rod of the stem of Jesse, the branch out of its roots, here prepared in eternity, raised up in the fullness of time as a savior, he's preaching the story of Jesus. And he goes on here and he says, as the baptizer, he was heralded by John with the Holy Ghost and fire whose shoes he was not worthy to lose. Boy, he's preaching a message, hallelujah. And I'm glad. He goes on. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Man, Paul is preaching a message. Hallelujah. He gets over there. Not only that, he tells them the promise that stemmed through Jesse, the branch of the roots that prepared in eternity, raised up in the fullness of time as a savior. He talked about John the Baptist. Amen. He goes on. Into verse 26, and he says he was condemned by the rulers. Paul makes it clear that Christ was slain by those who found no cause of death in him, bringing out the awful enmity of a natural heart against the holiness of God. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. He was raised from the dead. Hallelujah. I'm glad that he goes all the way and preached that psalms to them. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew not him, nor yet the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Mm. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Paul is doing the best preaching you ever heard in your life. Hallelujah. He is doing some goodness that God has revealed in his Son in Jesus Christ that he was raised from the dead. Hallelujah. But God raised him from the dead. The startling uh, uh, hearers as they listen of uh, the Son of God that he spake of when having authority. A man cannot speak on these great Things of the gospel unless he cannot hold his peace. For he has no message from God to the people. But God began to use Paul in a mighty way. And I'm glad that as he preached he was seen many days of them. Which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. Who are his witnesses unto the people. Praise God. Here the style of preaching is not nearly as important as the story that you're to tell. Mm, hallelujah. It's good. And we declare unto you glad tidings how that the promise which was made unto the fathers. Boy, you know what? He preached by eyewitness of his resurrection is what he's saying. I'll tell you, we've not followed cunningly devised fables. The resurrection of Christ is quite in harmony with a unique life and testimony. Hallelujah. And Christ's death and resurrection are the two pillars of the bridge of grace. Praise his mighty name. I'm glad God hath fulfilled the same unto us. Under us his children that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm. That's why I put the second Psalm up. Thou art my son this day, have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Mm. Boy, if that ain't good. He's still talking about the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Amen. He goes on. It's the evidence for the resurrection. Wherefore, he has said also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Amen. And so, he goes on. The evidence. For David, after he hath served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. The evidence, he's telling us. Evidence from the scriptures. Amen. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Mm. Christ's death and resurrection are the two pillars of the bridge of grace. He goes with the evidence. But finally, in verse 38, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, though through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. I'm glad that he is not able to save all who believe. All that believe are justified. He is able to do all those things. He is able to save everyone that believes because the blessing, the law of Moses could never do this. It is through the blood of forgiveness of sins on the cross of Calvary that this transpired, that this took place, the evidence. And by him, all that believe are justified from all things from which... Ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. He's preaching the evidence from the scriptures. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets. Amen. He says, beware, therefore. Despisers are sure to perish. God's still working this work of salvation in our day right now. In the hearts and the lives of everyone that believes, yet there are many who still despise and wonder and perish. And in their unbelief, although a man saved and transformed by the power of gospel as he declared it unto them, the goodness of God, mm, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as a savior of men, he said, let your heart be bowed and broken by repentance, amen. These words of Paul as he began to preach a message, the evidence that was so powerful. He said, Behold ye despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And so, he give them everything that they needed. Paul had reached the point to which he had been moving. He had reached the consummation of history. He reached a point when God sent the Savior Jesus Christ into the world and he launched right into the major thrust that the Savior is Jesus. And the name Jesus, the significant to the Jews, God, Yeshua. That is, I'm glad that Paul's message about Jesus Christ, he dealt with about seven points. The Savior who proclaimed by a forerunner, John the Baptist, when he preached it in verses 24 and 25, the world was caught off guard. God prepared the world the coming of the Savior. He sent John the Baptist, the forerunner, to proclaim the baptism of repentance, amen. I'm glad that we see, secondly, the Savior is the world, the word of salvation that's being proclaimed to you and I in verse 26, amen. That means deliverance from both the power and the penalty of sin, death, and judgment. Paul declared that Jesus is the word of salvation, amen, and he himself is the salvation. Boy, well, hallelujah, the evidence that we're talking about. And so, <coughs> Jesus is the one whom God raised from the dead. He's the, God's son, the, the one only begotten of God. And I'm glad Jesus, the holy one that did not suffer corruption. Amen. All that this, that Paul began to preach to him. Through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins in verse 38. And in verse 39, by Jesus, all that believe are justified from all things. Paul's message that included about seven points that he went into when he began to give this, amen. The proof uh, of, a, of a Savior that was raised from the dead. So he was proclaimed by the forerunner, John the Baptist, a word of salvation proclaimed to you, a Savior that was rejected and crucified, a Savior raised from the dead by God. And I'm glad that we look and we begin to realize that the proof of eyewitnesses, the purpose of Jesus' is resurrection, amen that all of these things that he was raised from the dead by God. Boy, Paul was preaching a message that had never ever been heard before ever in that time, and so he was preaching a Savior that forgives sin, the only person that can forgive sin, that died for the sins in order to gain the right to forgive. He arose. He's now living. He's living for the purpose of forgiving sins, and so A savior that justifies all who believe, justifies apart from the law. And I'm glad that seventh point that he shares with every one of us. I'm glad a savior that brings judgment upon men. Since he's come, men must beware lest what the prophet declared come upon them. According to Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. Because they can be despisers to look down upon, to think lightly of, act against. But they can wander and they can perish. I'm glad every one of us, what I want you to see is that that fresh man voice of the Holy Spirit God used in that synagogue at Antioch was a man whom God had first developed spiritually and taught directly the the truth of his word. I'm glad we've got to first learn to listen to God if we're ever going to speak for God in this day. Listen, learn to listen to God. Secondly, let him speak to them. You've got to get your nose in the Bible and let God develop you into the witness that he wants you to be. You know what? A parrot can be taught to repeat a few phrases and cliches, but a parrot would not be an effective gospel witness. Rather than trying to simply go out and repeat what you have heard, the preacher say, why don't you let God teach you the gospel himself? And form you into the witness that he wants you to be. Because God is still looking for fresh voice men and women witnesses. God is still looking for the next preacher. God is still looking for the next missionary. And yet he will develop them for the work before he deploys them in the work. I'm going to tell you, every one of us, my style, your style is not nearly as important as the story that we have to tell. Like Paul in Antioch long ago, you and I must let God lead us into those moments in which we can witness. And when those moments come, we must be ready to share the familiar message of the gospel as people with a fresh touch of its power upon us. We're glad that Paul preached it that day. Let us be glad to preach it in that this day for all of us in the coming days. As I close... Paul and Barnabas entered Antioch of Pisidia, and God had been working throughout all history as he suffered and bore the ways of Israel and the world. God had consummated history. He had given the world a Savior called Jesus, and there's no one that preached it any better. Like Paul in Antioch long ago, you and I must let God lead us into those moments in which we can witness. When those moments come, We've got to be ready to share the familiar message of the gospel as people with a fresh touch of its power upon us that we're glad that Paul preached it that day. We need to be glad to preach it this day as well as the coming days. And so the life of the Apostle Paul as he preached to the Gentiles, Paul, that visiting preacher that went out and began to take the message to those ones of its day and time. The preaching of Paul to the Gentiles. Father, thank you so much for the Bible study and I pray that it will be received into the hearts of those many that are out there listening tonight. In Jesus' marvelous mighty name, amen. God bless you.